Heavenly Father, this is our prayer, that you might transform us, that you might renew us in these moments together that we have in your word. Father, we ask you to do this for the sake of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we took our three boys on a trip. My oldest son borrowed a joke book from the library, which he brought. Get ready. Why don't you do arithmetic in the jungle? Because if you do four plus four, you get eight. It gets better. Why did the first monkey fall out of the tree? Because he was dead, Dad. Why did the second monkey fall out of the tree? Because he was dead? No, Dad. Because he was handcuffed to the first monkey. (laughs) A silly, fun, perhaps stupid joke. I'll keep my day job. But a lot of you resonated with James's illustration a few weeks ago about being handcuffed to Jesus. And it served as a great reminder that everywhere we go, we take Jesus with us. A physical reality illustrated the spiritual reality of our union with Jesus Christ. And today, as we consider this topic of joyful obedience, we need to remember the flip side of this, that because of our union with Jesus, not only do we take Jesus everywhere we go, but he takes us everywhere he goes. We are in union with Jesus Christ. As believers, do you realize that you are united to him in his life, in his death, and his resurrection? When he lived, we lived. When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. And when he is seated in the heavenly places, we are already seated with him there. The phrase, in Christ, What many of you close your emails with is used over 200 times alone in the New Testament. A really important phrase that shows us our union with Jesus Christ. That is the key to joyful obedience, our union with Jesus Christ. It is the key because if I preach moral imperatives... If I tell you what you should do and not do, that you should stop and start doing something apart from union in Christ through faith, then I don't preach the gospel to you this morning. Union with Christ is really important as we consider obedience because if we do not have solid grounding in our union with Jesus Christ, then you may be tempted being pulled back into the belief that you are accepted based on your obedience. Today, we will consider how Christ in you eventually produces Christ through you. I think Martin Luther said it best that justification is that we are in Christ and sanctification or joyful obedience is Christ in us. It's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. We are in Christ, union with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
I need to hear this, and I think that all of you need to hear this, because I think most Christians live powerless lives. And I think most of us live powerless lives because most of us live the Christian life simply trying to white-knuckle moral obedience. We use sheer willpower to not be as bad as we could be. And there is no freedom. There's no joy in that. Life becomes like trying to hold a beach ball under the water. And there is no freedom or no joy. Or many Christians simply try to kill sin by pulling leaves off of a tree, an endless task, and you never get to the root of things. There is no joy in obedience for most Christians. I want to talk to you this morning about the provision that God gives us through the Holy Trinity. I have four pages or three and a half pages now to do that. John Owen wrote 400 pages on that about our union and communion with the Trinity. Let's look at verse 14. The first provision that we are given for joyful obedience is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the grace of Jesus gives us the ability to overcome sin, not just pardon from sin. You see, for Christians, it's possible to have pardon from sin without appropriating power over sin. You see, we have been saved from sin, and we have been saved to holiness. Do you remember Jesus in John chapter 8? He said, woman, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Believers, you are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that you are a new creation. You see, before conversion, we were not able to sin, but now we are different creatures with new desires and new abilities. If there is life, there is fight. Dead men don't struggle against sin. You see, if you have been made alive in Christ, Christians will be marked not only, as J.C. Ryle says, by inward peace, but we will be marked by inward fight or struggle against sin. By God's sufficient grace, we can be joyfully obedient Not perfect in this lifetime, but through the power of grace, we can die unto sin and to live unto righteousness, what it means to be holy. But understand this, that obedience does not mean perfection, but by God's gracious power, we can become more and more like Jesus. You see, we can be aware of grace as a legal pardon, but not in a way that leads to revival. Many of you will know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote The Cost of Discipleship, and he wrote about grace in it. He said, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. We are fighting today for costly grace. What does cheap grace look like? Cheap grace is grace without cost. He says, when we treat the sacraments without urgency and expectation, 
grace is cheap. When we think of grace as only a doctrine, principle, or system, grace is cheap. When we use grace to justify sin, when we preach forgiveness without requiring repentance, allow church membership without exercising loving discipline, when we serve communion without requiring confession, grace is cheap. What does cheap grace look like in our lives? Practically, it might look like this. When we pursue divorce because you say you just can't love your spouse. Can't or won't or don't know how. We experience cheap grace when we don't regularly attend worship because you don't feel like it. You have something more important to do than worshiping the one who saved you. We experience cheap grace when we refuse to forgive someone because you think you must punish his or her sins. Is the death of Jesus not enough? We don't really understand grace. We think it is cheap grace without cost. Bonhoeffer would say that costly grace is grace that cost Jesus his life. He will talk about when we follow Jesus by being brave without being brash, when we are willing to give up everything to have Jesus. When Jesus said, sell everything, leave your nets, and follow me, I'm worth it. When we don't miss worship because we don't want to miss grace, When we use grace to courageously and lovingly condemn sin, forgive others, live generously, and submit our lives to the Word of God, what does costly grace look like in our lives? It might look like this. Refusing to cheat or to take a shortcut, even if it means you don't get the grade or the promotion, the success that you think you want. Costly grace is when you stop having sex with your boyfriend, even if it means losing him. Costly grace is when you bridle your tongue, even if you lose power over someone. Grace that costs the life of Jesus demands all of me. It demands all of you. There's nothing he doesn't deserve from us. Now, let's think about this idea of the power of grace You see, the first thing that you need to think about is this. Many of you, some of you, may not be experiencing the power of grace because you actually haven't been converted. You see, you don't need refurbishment. You don't need rehabilitation, but you need renovation. We're not after simply stapling fruit on a tree, but we're actually after a new tree. We're after conversion, the redemption of the image of God in us. Now, for Christians, many don't joyfully obey the Son because we don't understand the grace of the Son. Grace is everywhere in the Bible and it's ultimately revealed in Jesus. It's amazing grace that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. It's amazing grace that even Jesus forgives me when I fell and when I am wrong. And he keeps me. He keeps me. You see, all of us need the specific costly grace of Jesus. That's the kind of grace that leads to revival, to life, to transformation, 
to live without pretending. You see, grace is not license to sin, but it's actually power to obey. In fact, in Titus 2, 11 through 12, the grace of Jesus is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. One pastor wrote, Despair dies when we know our failures are not greater than His grace. Pride has no place when we know our performance is not the basis of His love. Disobedience departs when our greatest desire is to walk with the Savior who loved us and gave gave Himself for us. Have you received that costly grace? Are you ignited by this grace in your life? You see, you show me someone who understands that grace is not only pardon, but it's power, and I will show you someone filled with joyful obedience. God provides a plurality of motivation for joyful obedience, but the first priority is the power of grace in Jesus Christ. The second provision that we see here is the love of God. You see, the love of God delivers consistency. It does not change. Because the love of God provided union with Christ, we are confident that our status is constant and consistent. We relate to God as adopted children. Friends, Christians, God is no longer your judge. He is your loving, heavenly Father. And that will not change. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Christians, do you realize this, though? It's possible to know the love of God without knowing it applies to you. Paul is writing to Christians in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1.18 and 3.18. Paul prays that Christians would know that they would comprehend what? What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love that surpasses knowledge. This is the same type of knowing that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. There's another Puritan, Thomas Chalmers, he preached the expulsive power of a new affection. He said, you know God's love when your love for God exceeds all of your other loves. Why do you and I yield to sin? Why do we yield to sin? I know why I do it. I do it because I love it. You do it because you love it. And the only thing that will transform your life is something that you love more. The love of God, surpassing love, is what leads to transformation. The most powerful deterrent to sin is surpassing love. Now, some of you might say, well, what about all of the Warnings and the rewards from God listed in Scripture. And those can be motivations for obedience as well. You know, if you think about warnings from God, that the pleasures of sin are temporary, consequences are disastrous, and at times discipline is painful. 
But you know what? It is God's love that drives those warnings. I love you enough to warn you of consequences. God's warnings are not a threat of rejection for his children. And God motivates us with rewards. Blessings of obedience are eternal. Consequences are possible. And peace is desirable. These are multiple motivations for obedience, but the primary is the love of God. And ultimately, warnings and rewards are only effective because of grace. You see, believers, really knowing the love of God enables joyful obedience. 1 John 4, 7-8, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love from God produces love for others. One pastor said, when we behold the love of the Father, it reorders the loves of our hearts so that we delight in Him supremely. And the other things that have ruled our lives lose their enslaving power over us. Some of you may know this if you've been in the membership class, but I share this story, is that as a child and as a teenager, I was a very, very rebellious child, a very, very rebellious teenager, especially towards my parents. I treated them with contempt. I ignored relationship with them. I even told them repeatedly, I hate you in order to hurt them. They tried several rewards and punishments. None of it seemed to work. There's one moment that is seared in my mind forever and one occasion when I was trying to run away and I was a child and my father literally had me in his arms embracing me and telling me that he was my father. I looked on the wall and saw a picture and I quoted it to him. I said, any man can be a father, but it takes someone special to be a daddy. And you know what he did? He just hugged me tighter and he told me that he loved me. Now, it didn't change me in that moment. But I can tell you later in life, reflecting on that moment, it was not the rewards, it was not the punishments that changed me. It was the love of my father. Over time, that's what subdued my rebellion. The priority of love. Now, many people don't believe in the love of God because they don't think the law of God is loving. We believe this lie that God becomes the six-year-old with a magnifying glass on an anthill, that the six-year-old is God, that the magnifying glass is his law, and you are the ant. (laughs) The reality is this. God's law is loving And he is relentlessly pursuing our greatest pleasure because he loves us. And Christians, many of us don't joyfully obey the Father because we don't think the Father is loving. It's the lie of Satan in the garden, is it not? You can't trust the goodness of God or his commitment to our pleasure. Therefore, if you obey, you will be miserable, Adam and Eve. The reality is God is love and he is pursuing our greatest pleasure. All of us need the love of God in our lives. 
that leads to awakening, that leads to revival, that leads to transformation. Many of us have an unwillingness to fight to obey because we do not believe that God loves us or his law is loving. God wants you to be great. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be glorious. And he is relentlessly pursuing that in his creation and in his church. When we are aware of how much he loves us, we will respond like the psalmist in chapter 19, 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Are you motivated by the love of God this morning? Will you honor your mother because you know the love of God? Will you love your spouse because you know the love of God? Will you forgive a friend because you know the love of God? God provides a plurality of motivations for obedience. The first is the grace of Jesus Christ. The second is the love of the Father. And the third is the fellowship of Holy Spirit. The fellowship of Holy Spirit provides the means for joyful obedience. It's not a formula. And you Christians, do you realize this? It is not possible to have the Spirit without conversion. The Spirit regenerates you. One reason there is a lack of joyful obedience is because there is a lack of true conversion. Have you been born again by the Holy Spirit? You see, A.W. Tozer says, Plain horse sense, I like that, ought to tell us that anything that makes no change in the man who professes it makes no difference to God either. You see, through the Holy Spirit, believers, we are made to be what we are declared to be at conversion. 1 Peter 1, 2. We are saved according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of what? Of the Spirit so that we might be obedient. It's a brilliant thought. We are made holy by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, so it is a relationship, not a prescription. But how practically does the Holy Spirit encourage us? Two ways. One, fellowship with the Word is fellowship with the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, the Holy Spirit is a lamp to illuminate the Word of God. But you know how you and I treat the Word of God? We treat it as a formula. We treat it as an ethical cookbook, and we do not have a relationship with the Word, with the Spirit. Understand this. Spiritual discipline is not the same thing as sanctification. Being in the Word is a means to grace. Uh, Being in the Word is not a means to grace but a means of grace. What do I mean by that? It means that we think the length of our quiet time affects our union with Jesus, and if we have a short quiet time, we might have a bad day. Christians, understand this. Reading the Bible does not make God love you anymore. Brian Chappell, I love the way he puts it. Opening my mouth in prayer and praise does not manufacture more of God's love for me any more than opening my mouth makes more air. Christ's love is never conditional upon my actions. 
Rather, it is always available for my needs. Think about Jesus. He rebuked a lot of people who had memorized a lot of scriptures. God does not love you because of your spiritual disciplines. God loves you because of the spiritual discipline of Jesus Christ. Not our righteousness, but a righteousness that is alien, imputed to us by grace through faith. We don't really understand the encouragement of the Holy Spirit because we approach the word as a formula, not as fellowship. Now, what's the second way that we can have fellowship or encouragement from the Spirit? The second way is this. Fellowship with believers is fellowship with the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? I need my S-E-S-V for this. The Southern English Standard Version. Because we need a plural form of you. In this verse, according to the S-E-S-V, is this. Do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in y'all? You see, the Spirit dwells in you when you are in community with one another. And most of us, we don't stay in community long enough to be encouraged by the Spirit. Let me give you a few negative examples of that. Some of you are not encouraged by the Spirit because you change friends or home fellowship groups every two to three years whenever you feel betrayed by them and you miss the common denominator. You. Think about it. If you always feel isolated, underappreciated, and betrayed, then the common thread is likely your heart. Think about this. We leave marriages way too soon. We are confronted with our selfishness in our marriage. You know, no one thinks they're selfish until they get married, and then they realize it, and then they don't like it, and they don't want to stay in it, so what do you do? You leave it. We don't stay in relationship long enough to be encouraged by the Spirit. One of the primary purposes of your marriage is to sanctify you and to make you more like Jesus, and everybody can say amen. Some of you actually come to a big church so that you don't have to be known. You only come on Sunday morning and you're not involved in a community group because you're not comfortable in being known. You just want to come, be encouraged by a few songs, listen to a great Scottish accent, stare at the back of the head in front of you and leave. You're not going to experience the fullness of the Spirit unless you are in community. Iron sharpening iron is a violent process, and the process can be painful. Don't leave community too soon before you experience the Spirit. Now, sure, there's a time to cut off relationships, but I'm just saying do the hard work. Now, what are some positive examples of the way that we experience the encouragement of the Spirit in community? There are great home fellowship groups where you can talk about where we are doing well, where we are not doing well, where we are struggling and not struggling. When you feel that pull, when you're getting lazy and you're being called on it by your community. When you struggle with addictions or anger, you confess it and you drag it into the light in the appropriate context. How do we do this? You should know this is something that your pastors take very seriously. 
We have five pastors. We have three here and three church planners, so six pastors. We get together usually every month, and we get together over lunch, and we confess our sins to one another. We talk about where we're going left, where we should be going right, and it is awesome because we have five surgeons doing heart surgery, asking tough questions. You know, majority of ministers that start in ministry don't last in ministry. And we know this. And we want a different story. So we are committed to living in community to one another. And we want to model that for you. Be in community. Because this is the truth. Weekly, weak Christians are those who are weakly connected to fellowship. Fellowship with others enables you to have encouragement. All of us need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that leads to revival and life. Are you living in community? Are you in relationship with the Spirit in the Word? So in conclusion, remember this. Union and communion with the Trinity promotes joyful obedience by power. The grace of Jesus gives us ability. By position, the love of God delivers consistency. The process, encouragement of Holy Spirit provides the means. Why did I tell you about my rebellion towards my parents? I told you that because I wanted you to see what grace and love and fellowship. I'm not what I should be, but by God's grace, I am becoming what I ought to be. God's grace changed me. I went back to preach at my dad's church And I got some great responses from his friends. My favorite one was, you were the last of the Stevenson boys. I have three brothers that we ever expected to be a pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Notice who wrote these words. Paul, persecutor of the church, a hater of Christ, transformed by him. I can be changed by grace. Paul can be changed by grace. You can be changed by grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our prayer is really like the words from Robert Murray McShane. Lord, make us as holy as pardoned sinners can be. Lord, we ask that our godliness might spark revival in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our world. Lord, we ask that our godliness, our joyful obedience might be visible that we might display genuine love, that we might show hatred for evil, that we would be steadfast in justice, that we would excel in showing honor, that we would remain joyful in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, that we would be a church that is known for our generosity, our hospitality, our harmony, our humility, our honor, and our peace. Father, help us to not be envious, boastful, arrogant, selfish, or irritable because we are a people that have been revived by the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Amen.